the bottom line in business. Voice America Business. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. Uh, my guest this hour is Tom Garman, Thomas Garman, who's probably one of the most prominent uh, people in the field of personal finance in human history. Would you agree with that, Tom? Oh, that's very nice of you. <laughs> Tom I'm, has done a book. I'm 100 years old. <laughs> something like that. Tom has done a book called Personal Finance, uh, which has just come out in its ninth edition. It probably is the standard work uh, when it teaches uh, personal finance to students of all, all ages. Just tell, tell the audience a little bit about your background, Tom, uh, and how you've come to your eminent uh, status as, as the guru of personal finance. Yeah, well, I've taught uh, almost 40 years and retired three times, and I just can't seem to quit. Uh, the message of getting personal finance out to the real people in this world is too important not to continue beating the drum and trying to make it happen. So one of the areas that you're particularly uh, interested in is uh, personal finance education in the workforce. Is that correct? Absolutely. We have 100-plus million people in the workplace, and many of them are not the most successful people in their personal finances for lots of good reasons, and we can explore those reasons today. And here it is. Employers have these folks working for them. And it's in the employer's best interest to help folks with their basic personal finances. The best interest is profit. And why are employers not doing more in that particular area? Well, employers intuitively understand that a person with lousy personal finances might well be a, 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 not the world's best worker. That's not always true, but it's sometimes the case. Uh, but they don't want to spend the money. They just don't want to spend the money. That's the major reason. The second reason is they figure that their 401k provider, you know, the ones in charge of retirement education like Fidelity or Ameriprise or Ernst & Young, Somebody like that, well, they must be doing a good job helping our people with their personal finances, so I don't have to worry about it here as an employer. So, so a false, what, false conclusion, but that's how they get there. So what is the impact of that on uh, productivity and, and what, just not being taken care of? What is the negative impact on now the economy? I'm, I'm, I couldn't quite hear you. I'm sorry, the connection is not what, what is the negative impact of employers not helping teach personal finance on their businesses and on the economy? Yeah, well, the major impact of employers not doing this is that we have at least 15% of the employees are really having financial troubles. Uh, our national surveys and those of other large companies uh, like MetLife and Ameriprise and Survey Consumer Finances show that something in the neighborhood of 30% of employees report they are seriously financially distressed and uh, do not enjoy good financial well-being. So they're suffering. If you will, on a 10-point scale, they're at a 1, 2, 3, 4. They're, they're not in the middle at a 5, 6, and they're certainly not up in 7, 8, 9, 10 category. In fact, we have developed a scale and did some national surveys, and the scale is about your financial well-being. And we're not selling this. We give it away. It's on a website somewhere. But the point is we have national norms on this, and those norms show that 30% of American workers today do report serious financial distress, high financial well-being. So, so how does that affect productivity at the workplace? Uh, oftentimes, these workers are not the best workers, and what they do is waste time in the workplace and have other lousy job incomes. The wasting time in the workplace occurs when people deal with their personal financial matters while working, and the, uh, we find that 30 to 80% of workers, probably some on the telephone now, some on the radio now, 
uh, waste time at work, and they waste 12 to 20 hours a month. That's a lot of money. These folks also oftentimes are more, uh, have higher absenteeism rate than the rates than the other workers. They have lousier health. I mean, they just plain do. Got a big research study we just completed recently in January and found the very same thing. People with poor financial well-being oftentimes have poor health. That costs employers money. So uh, tell us about some of the uh, successful cases where there has been good financial uh, education for employees and how it's helped the bottom line of businesses. Uh, one, of the, one of the better employers uh, uh, to launch a major program is IBM. We all know this great big company. And, and they have launched a program here in 2006 that does a better job of emphasizing uh, the basics in personal finance. That's the key thing. I can't really put my finger on lots of large employers I know many mid-sized and smaller employers are doing this, and we have those on the website. And by the website, is called personalfinancefoundation.org, personalfinancefoundation.org. It's a nonprofit, 501c3 uh, kind of organization, where what we do is advocate best practices. We want employers to do a better job helping their employees with the basics, give the employees easy access to the mix of products and services that they need to run their lives financially and do a good job. So if, if an employer wants to do it right, Tom, what are some of the things that they could find at that website, or what are some of the things that employers could do uh, you know, within the budgets and, and time constraints they have that could help their employees and help themselves ultimately? Yeah, I'm still having trouble hearing you with the connection, but uh, basically employers could bring to the resources to bear during the lunch hour, after work, before work, between shifts, and the kind of services that folks need help with is their basic personal finances. And your local credit union, and many employers have credit unions nearby and sometimes in the, in the, in the place of work, uh, they offer basic budgeting and how to pay down your bills and avoid identity theft and how to save for the future for your kids' college education. Same thing is true of nonprofit credit counseling services. One of the better ones, it's a national organization, it's called Money Management International, MMI, you can find it on the website, and employers are encouraged to call this kind of organization that runs a comprehensive financial program for employees at a minimal cost to the employer and almost with a zero cost to employees. And that's typical of the organizations that are interested in basic financial education. Another good resource for employers is the Cooperative Extension Service from the old United States Department of Agriculture. They offer financial education for free in the workplace. University people do this. But the employers are reticent, they're hesitant and reticent both, to bring a lot of outsiders into the workplace. It takes time to manage these resources. But it's costing the employer serious money. Now, apparently, the, the new Pension Protection Act of 2006 yes. gave, gave employers some safe harbor uh, from you know, offering various kinds of financial advice, particularly how it related to 401k allocations. Has that made a big difference in getting more financial education in the workplace? I think the PPA and, and the companies that implement this, the employers that implement this, will, will make a big impact on participation. Uh, that is, they'll get the participation rate up from 45% to 65 or from 65 to 85 The bad news is it's poor participation. And here's why. Now, I know regular employees out there may not understand the logic of all this, but part of this new law, Pension Prote Protection Act, provides that in new hires and uh, come in and they are automatically put into 
a pension plan, not a pension plan, a 401k retirement education program, a retirement program, whereby you put in uh, 1 or 2 or 3% of your salary. And then it's automatically increased every year. And employers think this is going to solve all their problems in the world, but it's not. There's something called an opt-out, O-P-T, opt-out provision. Employees, when they find out that employers are withholding money for their retirement, oftentimes are saying now already with employers who have put this in already, and these are good employers, but they're saying, I don't want in. I want to opt out. I don't want to put money in there. I want to pay for my kids' college education. I want to buy more hamburgers at McDonald's and Burger King and do those, do those kinds of things. I can't afford to save for retirement. In fact, one out of four people who say they cannot save for retirement say that's because credit card debt. Hmm. So, so you're saying that this employers are saying, well, it's it's now taken care of. I don't have to worry about it. Where in fact it's going to make be worse because more people are going to be opting out. Yeah, you know, it's it's a real challenge for employers, and but they keep coming up with legislative changes and and big magic changes and silver bullets, and they're still not doing the job. The reality is that the average person saving in a 401k program has something just over fifty thousand dollars in the plan, and for folks nearing retirement. A substantial majority of them still do not have enough save for retirement. Yet, it's the responsibility solely on us to save for our retirement. What would you say is an average amount that people should be saving for retirement out of their annual income? And then, to be comfortable, just an average middle American, how much should they have saved up once they've reached retirement? Just rough ideas. Well, we need to save what we can afford to save, and and the most important thing there is pay ourselves first. I mean. If you're an employee and you're working and you're just working for the man, this is not a comfortable position. I know there's a lot of demands on us for our family expenses and our personal expenses, and I know our neighbors are buying new cars or leasing new cars and SUVs, and they're taking vacations to Disney World. And, by the way, come on down to Florida. We need your revenue. Please spend money in Florida. (laughs) The housing market's not too good down here. Houses are real cheap. Move down here, too, please. (laughs) <laughs> as long as you pay my my uh, property insurance, I'll be I'll do it, right? <clears throat> it's a beautiful place. It's about seventy five degrees and a nice cool breeze. It's our wonderful typical winter. But folks, folks do need to pay themselves first. I know that's a simple concept, but so many of us do not do that. So, how much should we save? Well, the first thing we ought to save is enough for an emergency fund. There's a press release from the Consumer Federation of America that's out just today. And it talks about savings in America, in particular that uh, 60% of us just do not have enough savings called emergency savings. So when there's a problem with a car, we need a new battery, or there's a mechanical breakdown of another kind, or there's an emergency and we have to drive across town and buy a plane ticket to go to a funeral or something, you know, we use our credit cards for these kind of things very, very readily. Instead of having $500 or $2,000 in our emergency savings and using it for that kind of a purpose. And then the second kind of savings is, sure enough, in our retirement education program. We need to put money in there. And the first question is how much? Enough to get the employer's match. Most employers will match like 50% of how much you put in. So if you put in $100 a month, they'll put in $50 a month. So wait a minute, let me do the math here. If I put in 100 and they put in 50 I have a 50% return immediately. Oh, how wonderful. You can't do better than the employer's match. So if you're driving down the road or you're on the Internet and paying attention to this conversation here today and you're not saving enough to enjoy the full match from your employer, 
pull over, redo your budget, and get that match because you're leaving free money on the table, and free money is just wonderful, and to leave it there is crazy. But what percentage of employers are now matching, Tom? Speak slower, please. What percentage of employers are now matching 401k contributions? I don't know the exact figure. You may well know that, but it's a declining number at the moment because employers are pinched with the impending recession or the recession we're already in. Uh, well over half uh, to have some kind of a match program. Very good. Okay, we're going to come back after the break. I'm speaking to Tom Garman, uh, whose latest book is called Personal Finance. This is the ninth edition. It's kind of the classic in universities around the country. Uh, we'll be talking about many more areas where you can make the most of your money. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show, and we'll be back after this. The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. You hear business show after business show all geared towards improving a company's bottom line. But what about your bottom line? How come no one ever talks about that? Finally, a show dedicated to the worker. The Crow Show with Paul McLaughlin, the work wonk. Heard every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific time, the Crow Show is aimed specifically at the worker and their environment. From work skills and technology to dealing with bosses and coworkers, the Crow Show will give you insight on how to survive and prosper in today's workplace. The Crow Show with Paul McLaughlin, the work wonk. Heard every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific time, right here on the bottom line of business talk, Voice America Business. Why is Pepsi cooler than Coke? Why are iPods so popular? In 2005, how can you launch a successful brand? Want to know? Learn about the fascinating and intriguing world of graphic design and branding on Design Matters with Debbie Millman. Every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time, Debbie Millman will provide you with a provocative look into the stimulating world of design as it intersects with contemporary culture. Hear what the experts have to say about creating, maintaining, and launching a brand in today's challenging marketplace. Join us every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time for Design Matters with Debbie Millman. Right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. You hear business show after business show all geared towards improving a company's bottom line. But what about your bottom line? How come no one ever talks about that? Finally, a show dedicated to the worker. The Crow Show with Paul McLaughlin, the work wonk. Heard every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, The Crow Show is aimed specifically at the worker and their environment. From work skills and technology to dealing with bosses and coworkers, The Crow Show will give you insight on how to survive and prosper in today's workplace. The Crow Show with Paul McLaughlin, The Work Wonk. Heard every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the bottom line of business talk, Voice America Business. Dad, can I ask you something? Sure, what's up? Um, there's this girl I kind of like. Well, if there's one thing I know, it's women. Really? Well, they didn't call me velvet for nothing. I don't get it. Smooth. I was smooth. Oh. Anyway, 
It's easy. You just got to impress her. Show her how strong you are. Okay, but how? Just, I don't know, pick up a lot of heavy things around her. Like what? I don't know, desks, chairs, people. Grunt, if you have to. Grunt? Yeah, be like, Ugh! Try it. Ugh! Ugh! <laughs> See? There you go. And you should dress up. Start wearing a shirt and tie. I'll look like a dork. No, you'll look successful. Okay. And finally, you can start using my cologne. <clears throat> the ladies love it, so don't be shy. Splash it on. Thanks, Dad. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To find out how you can adopt, please visit our website at adoptuskids.org or call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. Tune in every Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific time for The Growth Strategist with Aldana Ambler. On the show, Aldana and some of today's top business professionals will discuss some of today's most pressing business issues that hold you, the business owner, back. Aldana will also give you 21 ways to grow with her list of growth strategies. Grow smart, grow profit, and grow your business with Aldana Ambler and The Growth Strategist every Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific time, right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. You hear business show after business show all geared towards improving a company's bottom line. But what about your bottom line? How come no one ever talks about that? Finally, a show dedicated to the worker. The Crow Show with Paul McLaughlin, the work wonk. Heard every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific time, the Crow Show is aimed specifically at the worker and their environment. From work skills and technology to dealing with bosses and coworkers, the Crow Show will give you insight on how to survive and prosper in today's workplace. The Crow Show with Paul McLaughlin, the work wonk. Heard every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific time, right here on the bottom line of business talk, Voice America Business. Have you ever had a bad day and wish someone could come along and change it at the flip of a switch? Do you dream of living the life of wealth, great relationships, and the perfect job, but don't know where to start? Then tune into The Winner's Attitude with corporate trainers, motivators, authors, and host Jeff and Val G. No difficult strategies or complicated keys. Jeff and Val present a powerful and effective technology to switch your operating system to create the most amazing life. It has been said that winners have simply formed the habit of doing amazing things. When know how to activate that switch and so can you the winner's attitude with jeff and val g broadcast each friday at 8 a.m pacific 11 a.m eastern on the voice america business channel the winner's attitude switch me on the internet's only all business and financial radio network voice america business You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host, and my guest this hour is Tom Garman, uh, who is the author of a new book called Personal Finance, the ninth edition. It's kind of the classic work in uh, college text. Welcome back to the show, Tom. Yep. Thank you. Glad to be here. Okay, we're talking in the beginning of the book about the, the basic building blocks of achieving personal financial success. Why don't you tell us just briefly what some of those building blocks are? Yeah, very importantly, we've got to make good decisions. Everybody needs to make good decisions in not only getting a job, but taking that next step of making proper selections in our employee benefits. The benefits offered by employers are there for competitive reasons and whatnot, in other words, they want to hire you, and you may go to the next employer if you, if you skip this one here. So they want to offer competitive benefits. Uh, unfortunately, 
Two-thirds of us make our benefits elections in less than one hour, says a research study from MetLife Insurance Company. And so we've got to make good decisions. Here's, here's, when we have a, here's some examples of making good decisions. Uh, there's a health care depend, and dependent care program available at many employers and a flexible benefits program. And health care program is a salary set aside. You, you withhold a few dollars to prepay uh, to pay for some of your health care expenses, out-of-pocket health care expenses. You might save $100 a month in that, and then it comes time to buy glasses, prescription glasses, or other uh, medical co-pays and that kind of stuff. You, you only have that money available. The reason why you do that is you save tax dollars. Now, most of us are in the 25% tax bracket. So if you put money into the health care plan or the dependent care plan, that's for child care or for dependent care of an elderly person who lives in your home, for example, you save 25%. It's pretty good money, very good money. And that means the, the federal government helping to pay for that expense that you would normally have. As another really cool tip for both employers and employees, the average tax refund last year was $2,200 from the IRS. It'll probably be higher this year. Many people like to have extra money withheld from their income so they have a big refund at the end of the year. I have a question. What would you rather have, $2,200 refund next year or maybe $75,000 extra in your retirement program when it's time to retire? Uh, the numbers are specific to the individual worker. But here's a suggestion. Instead of saving $2,200, employers ought to tell the employees, and employees ought to listen to this, why don't you save $1,000 in your refund for next year and change your W-4 form in the Human Resources Department and take that $1,200, in other words, $1,200 minus the $1,000 you're still going to get for overwithholding, and put that $1,200 into your 401k program where you might get a match of $0.50 cents on the dollar and your dependent care program, your health care program, where you might get $0.25 cents on the dollar. This way... You save money in your retirement program, and you save money every day in taxes. So a good thought on employee benefits. So very, very crucial to select the right employee benefits. Very good. Tom, you, you talk in your book about how, when you're making personal financial decisions, you should think like an economist does. Explain why that is a good, good thing to do. Well, an economist pays attention to where we are in the business cycle. Is anybody out there not know where we are in the business cycle right now? Uh, I don't see any hands up. I don't receive any emails in the last couple of minutes. And the reason is simple. It's well known either we are in a recession or we're moving into a recession. Now, what does that mean? Well, that means a lot of people are going to lose jobs. Inflation may go down. Inflation may go up. We're not sure in this specific recession that is coming or is here already or may be here or may not be here. But it has something to do with your investment. For many of us who have investments, they've gone down in value in the last several months. But this also means it's a great buying opportunity. If you're in a 401k program now, this is time to buy because all these mutual funds are on sale. They're 10 or 15% or even more less expensive than they were in October or, or in September. So this is the time to put more money into the mutual funds and stocks uh, that are good, good for you, you know, your proper choices. This is also a time, uh, because we know where we are in the economic business cycle, to think about your budget. Where do you want to be next year? 
Do we need to reallocate our resources and save more money for college, save less money for college and more in investments? Uh, what do we want to do with our credit? Interest rates should be dropping on our credit cards. They are not. Some would say that's called profiteering by the credit card companies, and some may be right in that assessment. Others may disagree. The interest rates are not coming down on credit cards, but they are on your home equity loans, and they are on your home mortgages. Oh, pardon me. They're going up on home mortgages. Uh, but on a new mortgage, if you're interested in buying a home, the mortgage rate is lower now than it was even six months ago. So think like an economist, meaning take advantage of the, the economic opportunities that are in front of you. You, you. you also talk about using your marginal tax rate to make various kinds of decisions in investments and, and personal finance about getting, it's more important to get tax-exempt or tax-sheltered income than taxable income. Why don't you talk about that a little? Because not everybody's familiar with the advantages of tax-exempt or tax-sheltered income. Right, well, the best kind of income is free income. And if you find a $100 bill on the street, that's, that's just pick it right up and put it in your pocket and you're happy. If you find the person to give it back to, go right ahead. But if you could get tax-free income, wow, that'd be terrific. Actually, you already get some tax-free income. Because there's things you've heard about them, standard exemptions, standard deduction, all this kind of business. You're not taxed on the first few dollars you earn as an income. But later on, you pay taxes at 10, 15, 25%, and most of us are in the 25% tax bracket. So since you earn $1,000 and pay $250 in taxes, how do we make investments or make employee benefit decisions or, or uh, retirement planning decisions to save money on taxes. And the way we do that is to avoid the taxes now. That's the first rule, if we possibly can. That's not always true. So, Jordan, please come back and say, Roth RA, please talk about that. So if you can reduce your tax liability now, that gives you more money in your pocket to spend, save, invest, or donate to a charity of some kind. And we can do that in lots of ways. The easiest way is your retirement program at work. Because if you put in, and you're in the 25% bracket, an extra $1,000 this year, you save 25% because you don't pay income taxes on that $1,000 of earnings. If you made $40,000, for example, and you take these adjustments and standard deductions and exemptions and all that, and it lowers your income to $30,000, you get to knock off this extra 1000 So you don't have to pay 25% taxes on that $1,000, which is wonderful. So tax-sheltered uh, uh, investing is a good idea. And it's similar when it comes to your, your uh, health and dependent care plans at work if you have these. By the way, if you don't have health care and dependent care at work, ask your employer. These are very inexpensive, inexpensive programs employers to set up. So ask your employer to consider setting these up, and then you can save money in this area as well. And the main thing you save there is your FICA tax. Federal Insurance Contributions Act is the name of the 1933 law, and this is basically your Social Security taxes. And you know that 6.2%, and then a Medicare is on top of that, another 0.165, it's a whole lot of money. It's 765 or something of that nature. The point is, if you put in $100 a month, that's $1,200 a year, into a health, uh, health reimbursement account, you will save $92. Well, $92 doesn't sound like a lot of money, but you know what? I would lean over in a minute to pick up a $92 bill on the floor, and then I can buy glasses for my children and pay out-of-pocket health care expenses, 
during the year. It's a terrific way to save money uh, by not paying it in taxes. Uh, well, there's other ways, too. We have tax-exempt securities. If you're in a tax bracket right now that is above 25%, you should consider tax-exempt securities, meaning mutual funds or that invest in bonds that are municipal bonds or, in fact, municipal bonds themselves. Because you will earn right now, actually, because of the changing interest rates in our volatile economy moving toward recession, the municipal bonds, the municipal bond mutual funds, are paying a very, very good return compared to tax advantage bonds. I don't want to get too confusing on this, but basically it's this way. If you're in that 25% bracket and you're going to earn, let's say, 5% on a corporate bond, right? 5% mm -hmm. on a corporate bond, and then you would get that interest every year for the next 20 years. You bought a brand-new bond. Well, if instead you bought a, a uh, tax-free municipal bond, it's not going to pay the full 5%. And the reason is our Constitution doesn't allow the federal government to tax the state governments, municipal governments. So there you go. Yay for the Constitution. And it sets up this, this other tier of, of investments that's tax lower. So they're going to pay a lower return to you as well. They might pay 4% right now. If you've got a 4% bond that's tax-free and you compare that to a 5% taxable bond, you'll find the net after-tax return on the municipal bond is higher. So we do a little math and all these little equations on the Internet. You don't have to buy any books for this. It's not complicated. And you can go to any of your retirement programs on, a, you know, like Vanguard or T. Rowe Price, and all the calculators are up there. And uh, my, one of my favorite is, is it Chimps or Money Chimps? Uh, Moneychimps.com. Uh, uh, it's got some really good uh, calculators. But there's calculators on, on uh, Money Central, Yahoo. Everybody's got calculators on comparing their, the after-tax return to a taxable investment. So, Tom, I just wanted to ask you now, this is maybe a bit of a political question, but if uh, the tax rates go up in 2009 because yes. the existing tax cuts expire, yes. which would happen if there's deadlock or if, you know, there's, if nothing happens, that's what happens, is we kind of go back to pre-2003, yes. what kind of impact would that have on uh, the investment markets, the economy, uh, municipal bonds, some of the things you talked about, if tax rates went back to where they were before, where you had 20% capital gains rates, dividends taxed at regular income rates, regular tax rates up to as high as 39%, and so on. Gosh, I'm glad you asked such an easy question. And uh, the <laughs> old professor would say, do we have four hours for an answer? <laughs> we do not, no. <laughs> it is certainly within the realm of possibility that the Bush tax cuts will expire and Congress will not renew them. Now, just so you know, uh, listeners, uh, the uh, John McCain said he's not going to raise taxes, so that means he would push Congress to extend those tax cuts. And the Democrats have not said that, so in all likelihood we, we, we could surmise those tax cuts uh, would be repealed and something would be either put in their place or they would totally expire. And that does mean tax rates will rise. And before we try to respond to parts of that question, rates almost assuredly, says Tom Garman, are going to rise the rest of your life. And the reason is very simple. The, the programs we have in place, Social Security, Medicare, Defense, these programs are absorbing more than three-quarters of our budget, and that health care in particular is growing as a proportion. It's sucking in more and more tax dollars, and we, either we have to increase taxes or we have to increase taxes or we have to increase taxes. 
uh, wait a minute, I'm retired, I get Social Security. We're not going to reduce Social Security benefits, trust me. <laughs> and they're not going to increase my copay on Medicare too high, because I'd get all upset and I'd vote for the other party, whatever that one was. So your tax rates are going to be higher in all likelihood, and most soothsayers, I'm not one, are saying that is in fact the case. So again, before I respond to your issue, the question you posed, that whopper, Roth IRAs. This is a wonderful place to put money. Your Roth IRA is, you put after-tax money, regular investment money, into a Roth IRA account. You open it up, and you put in so many dollars, whatever you wish, up to a certain limit. And guess what? The growth in there is tax-free. You're familiar to that, with that because of tax-free investments you do now, IRAs, 401Ks. But the money coming out is tax-free, named after former Senator Roth. It's a Roth IRA. So the money you put in now is going to grow over time, and when it comes out, it won't be taxed at 26% or 32% or whatever the new higher rates are going to be on you when you do, in fact, retire. So that's very good advice to avoid this, but I'm just saying, what is the effect on the overall economy, do you think, if these tax cuts do expire when we go back to where we were kind of pre-2003? It is definitely going to be a, a, a hit in the economy. It's going to slow it down a bit. How much the bit is, I'm not a, a microeconomist. I can't do the calculations for us. But, yes, when taxes go up, that sucks money out of the economy, which takes it out of the spending part of our economy. And two-thirds of our economy is based on consumer spending. And when you slow down the traffic at Walmart, people lose jobs all across America. And China, too, we might add, and India. But in our country in particular, we will slow down if we increase our taxes. Now, if we can get some growth in the economy, and you know what? Right now, the economy is going the wrong way. So whoever this president is next, Republican, Democrat, Independent, Ralph Nader, Pickett, it's going to be a very, very big challenge to deal with a slowing economy at best and what to do with taxes and the, the very expensive medical programs we have in place at the current time. Uh, it's going to be really tough on the investor because when rates go up and capital gains change, uh, now, when capital gain rates change and, and, uh, and rates go up in general, uh, that's going to put a little pressure on, on your basic investor because it's going to be much harder to find a good investment. In fact, I suspect if the Democrats get in, they'll also raise corporate tax rates. At least that's the soundings that we can, we can imagine are going to come to us. So if, if that happens, if they raise corporate tax rates and individual tax rates because the ex existing tax cuts expire, that it's going to hurt some investments. What investments would be helped by that? Well, I think the uh, municipal bonds will still be in very good condition. What's your view on that, Jordan? Well, that would help them to some extent if the municipal bond insurance situation is clear cleaned out. One area that would seem to be benefiting would be gold or kind of non-dollar-denominated assets because we're printing a lot of money here and people are having less and less faith in the U.S. dollar, and therefore that, that's why you're seeing gold at $950 or higher an ounce. And yes. other, other commodities in general tend to benefit from a weaker dollar, and all of what we're talking about seems to me would weaken the dollar. If the economy is weaker uh, because of tax rates going up and the real estate situation everything else we talked about, that hurts the dollar again. Sure does. So it and, seems to me that... I agree with your analysis on uh, precious metals and, and uh, uh, other, other important uh, commodities that come into the, the world economy. Don't you all wish you'd bought some oil futures three or four years ago? Do you think this is a long-term bull market in commodities and gold, and, and do Americans have enough in those uh, assets right now? You know, I, I'm glad you raised that question, because I don't think we do. I've, I've never been a big fan of gold, and when you see what's happened to gold in the last 20 years, save this last year, except for this last 12 months, you'll see why. But I do believe that, and I'm not a 
trying to scare people, but I don't think our economy is in the best shape, and I don't think the mid nor near term in our economy and our international position in the global economy is in good condition. I think the real values for the longer-term investor are clearly in the overseas markets. I think the time has definitely come when a substantial part of your portfolio needs to be moved over there, and in, in, in part because, of course, those economies are growing and there are some, some good opportunities for buying, but also because the dollar is such a, in such a weakened condition. And if that dollar would ever increase, you would be in a little bit better shape with those uh, assets invested abroad. In your book, you also talk about uh, how to seek expert financial advice. Uh, a lot of Americans do not have real financial advisors or financial planners because the planners only want to deal with the top, whatever, 5 to 10% of the population, right. and the vast majority don't have financial advisors. How do you recommend people of moderate income, moderate to even you know, middle to upper income, who do not have financial advisors, go about getting one? Well, I would first go to the Human Resources Department and say, do we have financial advice available through the workplace? And if you don't say, come on, let's get with it, because more than half of large and mid-sized employers offer financial advice through the workplace, through a program like from Vanguard or from Financial Engines or others where you can utilize the computer facilities. It might even be the Ernst & Young program where you call in on the telephone and get a real financial advisor. It could be myfinancialadvice.com where you call in and get a real financial advisor. That's the first place I would look because so many employers are offering this. And once again, if they're not offering it, ask your employer to get motivated to provide this. In addition, in the workplace, uh, even those employers that may or may not offer financial advice, they, offer, they also offer managed accounts. Some of them offer managed accounts. So you could hire for a small fee through your employer the company they have selected to help manage your retirement assets, and sometimes more than your retirement assets, your other investments as well. Uh, but then again, you know, so many of us work for smaller employers, and we don't have that opportunity. So bingo, what are you going to do? You need to find a financial planner and... I know this is going to hurt folks, but it's time to write a check. You would not do brain surgery on your own brain. You would hire a brain surgeon. If you had a bad appendix or just bad health in general, you would hire a physician to help you. This is time to bite the bullet, spend $500, spend $1,000. I know it's going to hurt, but it's going to pay off in the long term. We are talking about professionals who are interested in advancing your financial interest. Now, how do you get a good financial planner? They come different ways. The one that everybody wants is the most honest person that, whose advice can be fully trusted. There's no biases whatsoever. If you want that particular person, and there's lots of them out there, there's something called a fee-only financial planner. So if you punch in on the Internet, fee-only financial planner, you'll get the name of that association. Except you will find when you get there, there's not very many of them. There's two down here in the Orlando area where I live, two in a city of 1.6 million folks. Most financial planners are of the other kind. They offer uh, for a, a fee plus a commission or for commissions. Now, what does that mean? That means that they sell you stocks or mutual funds or promote you or if they have life insurance that they recommend to you, other kinds of assets, they charge commissions on that. So what's wrong with this? Nothing. This is how the whole world works. Uh, commission base uh, is a good place to buy your products, but what you have to watch for, of course, is to make sure that the financial advisor who's earning a commission is earning a commission and has your best interest at heart. So ask lots of questions. 
if you put in FPLA or FPA, Financial Planning Association.org, you'll get a list on the Internet of their 10 or 12 top tips on the questions to ask a fee-based financial planning organization. So you're saying that it is possible to get somebody who is going to work in your interest and still gets commissions. Because that's that's, people would have a general feeling that uh, if he earns commissions, he's automatically biased. Yeah, I, I, I'm inclined to agree with people. They're automatically biased. Uh, they're going to talk to you about the insurance they're going to recommend from a friend of theirs, and they'll get a commission, a rebate back from them. I understand that. But you don't have to buy insurance from that person if you can find a life insurance policy on the Internet, which is cheaper. By the way, that's the only place to buy life insurance. Please go there. It's also the only place to buy an annuity if you need an annuity. But when it comes to stocks and bonds and mutual funds, you need an advisor. You need guidance here, whether it comes to your 401K plan at work or from an independent financial advisor who's fee-only or commission-based. Please go forth. What kind of views can you add to that, Jordan? Well, are you saying that some people uh, could use financial advisors, but uh, they're scared off by paying them, and therefore they don't get any advice at all. That's kind of a, a big void out there in the market. They sure do. 500 bucks or $1,000 a lot of money, even to me. But you're saying as a result of that, they, they're willing to you know, not spend the 500 or 1000 but as a result, their finances are in a mess. <laughs> it could be improved. They're in a mess. Oh, and we keep seeing statistics year after year, the same ones. All these people who are in the 401K program at work, they typically earn half what the... Standard uh, S&P 500 earns or the Russell 2000 earns. In other words, if the market went up last year 8%, the person who without financial advice is only earning 4 Why? Because we, we just, you know, we're normal human beings. It's hard to do what a cold-hearted professional advisor will tell you to do. Very good. Okay. All right. We're speaking to Tom Garman, uh, whose new book is called Personal Finance, the ninth edition. Uh, Tom is the Dean of Personal Finance uh, Professors, who's been around about 40 years doing this, learning all kinds of interesting things here. Uh, We'll be back at the Money Answer Show after this. The bottom line in business, Voice America Business. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying, and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellent both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. Achieve Total Wealth Management. Listen to Three Dimensional Wealth with Rory Diefendorf every Monday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 Eastern, right here on Voice America Business. Three-Dimensional Wealth is a show dedicated to teaching you a value-based approach to comprehensive wealth management through practical strategies and expert advice. Take your first step down the road to financial independence. Listen to Three-Dimensional Wealth with Rory Diefendorf, Mondays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 Eastern, here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. 
Have you ever had a bad day and wish someone could come along and change it at the flip of a switch? Do you dream of living the life of wealth, great relationships, and the perfect job, but don't know where to start? Then tune into The Winner's Attitude with corporate trainers, motivators, authors, and hosts, Jeff and Val G. No difficult strategies or complicated keys. Jeff and Val present a powerful and effective technology to switch your operating system to create the most amazing life. It has been said that winners have simply formed the habit of doing amazing things. Winners know how to activate that switch, and so can you. The Winner's Attitude with Jeff and Val G. Broadcast each Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. The Winner's Attitude. Switch me on. The bottom line in business. Voice America Business. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. And my guest this hour is Tom Garman, uh, who's got a new book out called Personal Finance. Uh, It's the ninth edition. This is kind of the classic work in the whole personal financial field and is giving us all kinds of great advice. Welcome back to the show, Tom. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Let's talk about credit, which is such an important uh, thing in people's uh, lives. Uh, you, you talk about reasons for and against using credit. Why don't you go to, to some of those briefly and, and how people are using credit correctly or incorrectly in today's society? Fine question, and uh, convenience is the, is the most important one. I mean, I use credit for virtually all, you know, 90% of my purchases because it's just so easy. I get one statement because I use one card, and I get a rebate, 2% or whatever it is every year. We use it for emergencies. You know, if you've got a kid in college or in technical school somewhere, they need a credit card, not to buy dinners necessarily at fine restaurants, but for emergencies. And, of course, you cannot make a hotel reservation or, or, or rent a car nowadays without a credit card. And just as a quick footnote, you know, we still have credit card blocking when you make a hotel reservation or make a reservation for an automobile rental somewhere. If it's 100 hours a day for the room or the car, They'll charge you $200 a day blocking that credit limit. So if you had a $5,000 credit limit, they might block $1,000 on your card. Just be aware that that occurs. We also can buy expensive products when they're on sale, which is wonderful. Because if you got around that Super Bowl time, if you went to Circuit City or, or Walmart, you could buy that big screen TV, a substantial discount. Very nice. And a lot of times it's basically like me, it's free credit. I mean, I use my credit cards, as many of us do, and pay the bill off. In fact, half of us, half the adults in America, pay their credit card in full every month. This is a fantastic idea. Uh, so nothing wrong with that. And, of course, the, the really best number one reason why we use credit is to buy an education. Uh, no matter what, if you have a, you yourself or you have a child or a relative besides that, that's thinking about education, Go borrow money and get the education. That is your one surefire ticket to a better financial life downstream. So those are the upsides. What are some of the downsides of credit, the way people use it today? Well, it does reduce our financial flexibility because if you're making monthly payments of 100 or 200 a month, that means you can't spend that money on other things or invest that money. You just can't. So it reduces your flexibility somewhat. And, of course, it is very, very tempting to overspend I remember when I was a college professor, I was occasionally going out to the better restaurants. And in one year when I was teaching, I noticed that there are a lot of young people in this restaurant. And in the next year, more young people. It's easy to overspend if you have these cards. 
uh, particularly if you just, you know, whip out one card or two cards or three cards, it just happens. And, and in addition to overspending, the interest does cost us money. You know, if you're running a two, three, four, five, six thousand dollar balance, you're easily spending five hundred to a thousand dollars a year in interest, just in interest. And the companies have some onerous ways of calculating interest that you don't even want to hear about. But you're paying a little extra because that's the way they stack the rules up. Do you think a lot of uh, consumers are uh, aware of how much they're paying in interest these days? I think they have to be. I mean, maybe I'm just dead wrong stupid, but don't people know <laughs> when they make the minimum payment, it says here's the interest, 20 bucks, and here's the payment, $12 or $30? You'd be surprised at how little people catch on in many cases about that. Yeah, I hear you. And you know, the Democrats were pushing uh, uh, when they were running their campaign for the last election, and they didn't get elected in, in terms of the White House. They were pushing to have some disclosures put on these credit card statements so you knew how much the credit was every time in terms of the interest. Yes. But uh, that didn't come to bear. Yeah. Um, now, you also say you should be setting your own debt limits. How should people do that? Oh, it's, it's really quite simple. Just find out, are you in debt regularly, forever? You know, if you haven't paid off all of your credit card debts within three years, you have too much credit card debt. That's a wonderful little indicator. Now, if you want to do some real math, you can sit there and do some calculations and find out how much you're paying out on credit card debt and compare that to your income. And if it's more than 15%, you have way too much credit card debt. And a lot of us really do have more than 15%. I'm not trying to set an artificial standard that's too low, 15 Trust me, if you have more than 15 you're spending too much on your credit cards. Now, if you're paying them off, that's not a problem. We're talking about making those monthly payments. So 15 is the, is the number where you're in trouble. If you're 10% or below, you're just fine. You're just fine. Uh, do the old you're rules apply? As a tool, you're paying some interest, but you're okay. Do the old rules apply about total uh, mortgage debt or total debt compared to income is like 35% including the mortgage and, and the credit card? Is that still true today? I think that, that those rules apply if you're trying to get a mortgage. I don't think they apply in real life very well because so many of us use credit as a tool to get the things we want to get done. But if you're looking for a mortgage loan, if you're looking for a new car loan or, or a vehicle lease, you better you have to meet those ratio standards that they have or they simply deny you or they charge you a higher interest rate. And they are very willing to charge you a higher interest rate. While we're on interest rates, many people go in to buy a car or, or lease a car and they're told the interest rate's going to be, I know it said 6% in the advertisement, we got you in here, but yours is going to be 8 Don't believe the 8 A lot of things are going on here. Number one, the person at the auto dealer or the financing place is trying to earn a commission based on a higher rate, and they get a higher commission if they get you into a higher rate. Secondly, your FICO score. You know about FICO, Fair Isaac and Company. That's the big company that reports your credit score. That score may be incorrect. There may be some wrong information in your file. So if you correct your file, your score goes up. Or the person could be, oh, sometimes they do this. They just tell you you have a 610 score instead of a 720, and you know you have a good credit rating. So don't necessarily believe the, the percentage interest rate they're going to charge you. It really helps to get out of your chair and walk out of almost any deal when negotiations are going on because they have a big, big interest in getting you back in your chair and offering you a better deal. So, so that has a lot to do with interest. 
going into the car dealership in the first place, you should know what your credit score is. So you oh, you sure should, and you can get that very, very easily off the internet for little or no cost. In fact, you should get your credit report, and you can get that free. Just get on the internet, avoid all those websites that will charge you money to get your free credit score, and contact each of the three credit card. Uh, 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 what's the key word here? Credit reporting agencies. Credit reporting agencies. And you can get one card from one company, like TransUnion, in January. This is February. And then three months later, get another free report from another one. You can get three credit reports per year every four months. And I think the website for that is annualcreditreport.com. There you go, annualcreditreports.com. Thank you, Mr. Expert. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're about to to close here. Why don't you just give a, a general... Uh, kind of summing up of what we talked about here and how it pays off for people to learn about their personal finances, not only individually, but as employers. Yes, life is good. When your personal finances are in good condition, life is even better. And for the employers, it's in your best interest to have a financially well workforce. So help your folks have easy access to basic financial education from whatever sources you can provide, credit unions, Nonprofit credit counseling, extension, 401k providers, whatever it is. And for us on the ground floor living our personal finances, it's your life. Those financial stresses that come to you are coming to you in the financial area because of the way you're choosing to make your decisions. If you make different decisions, you can have a better life. Can you do it? Absolutely you can. It's your life. You're in charge of your life. In one year, two years, you can change your entire financial life if you want. Actually, it feels really good when you make a couple of decisions today that are going to be different in one month. It's going to change your financial life. So have, fun, have a good life. Take care of your personal finances. And keep living, listening to The Answer Man. <laughs> right, give, give us your website, Tom, just so we can find out more about that as well. Thank you. PersonalFinanceFoundation.org. PersonalFinanceFoundation.org. Thanks very much, Jordan. Pleasure Thank you so much, Tom. talking with your folks. Tom's been great. Again, Tom Garman is the author of a a textbook called Personal Finance. The ninth edition is just out. He's the dean of personal finance education in this country. Thanks so much for being with us, Tom, and we'll be back again next week. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.